This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Jeremy Hunt, Britain's new chancellor of the Exchequer, said taxes would have to rise and public spending would be cut. Mr. Hunt was appointed on Friday to reassure investors after Liz Truss, the hapless prime minister, had sacked his predecessor, Kwasi Kwarteng. It remains to be seen whether Mr. Hunt's intervention, which amounts to a repudiation of his boss's political program, will calm the jittery gilt markets. On Friday, Ms. Truss abandoned plans to scrap a corporation tax rise, but yields rose over concerns she had not gone far enough. Conservative MPs are now deciding whether to defenestrate yet another prime minister, one who was only appointed in September. Vladimir Putin said a drive to mobilize troops for his war in Ukraine would probably end within two weeks. Russia's president said around 220,000 people have been drafted, fewer than the number who have fled the country to dodge the draft. Meanwhile, the Pentagon approved a further $725 million in military aid for Ukraine. Among other things, the new package will replenish ammunition supplies for the HIMARS rocket systems that have helped Ukraine forces wreak havoc on Russian troops. An explosion at a coal mine in northern Turkey killed at least 28 people. Rescuers have so far evacuated 11 miners, but dozens remain trapped underground. Turkey's energy minister, Fatih Danmez, said the blast may have been triggered by fire damp, a flammable gas found in some coal mines. President Recep Tayyip Erdogan announced plans to visit the site. Elon Musk warned that his satellite internet company, Starlink, could not indefinitely fund the service in Ukraine. The Pentagon hinted that it was considering stepping in to help. Most of the 20,000 Starlink terminals in the country have been paid for by Western governments. Mr. Musk has contributed by waiving monthly fees. But the capricious billionaire's relations with Ukraine have soured after suggestions he has cozied up to the Kremlin. The UN warned that about half of Haiti's population of 9.9 million are at risk of acute hunger. Almost 20,000 people face famine. Many live in slums controlled by violent criminals. The crisis in Haiti has reached boiling point in the past month. Last week, the government asked the UN for armed help to tackle the gangs. A jury in New York convicted the founder and former boss of Nikola, an American electric vehicle startup, of defrauding investors. Prosecutors allege that Trevor Milton made false statements about Nikola's technology by claiming, for example, that an inoperable prototype was fully functional. Mr. Milton, they said, took advantage of the fact that Nikola went public through a special-purpose acquisition company. Traditional IPOs have stricter disclosure rules. Rupert Murdoch is investigating whether to reunite the two arms of his media empire, Fox Corp which houses most of the 91-year-old magnate's broadcast channels, and News Corp, home to newspapers, including The Times and Wall Street Journal, were spun into separate companies a decade or so ago. The Wall Street Journal reports that committees have been formed in both boardrooms to discuss a recoupling. And word of the week, Siloviki, Russia's privileged securocrats. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. 
Russia on the back foot in Ukraine Ukrainian cities are still reeling from the barrage of Russian missiles that destroyed civilian infrastructure across the country at the start of the week. But for the soldiers on the ground, there is no rest. Russian mercenaries from the Wagner Group have continued their slow, grinding advance on the city of Bakhmut in Donetsk province in Ukraine's east. But Russia is on the back foot everywhere else. In Luhansk province, also in eastern Ukraine, Russian troops are digging in, anticipating a Ukrainian attack towards Svatve, part of Russia's new defensive line. Russia's position is even shakier in the south. Ukraine continues to advance towards a reported 20,000 Russian soldiers on the west bank of the Dnieper River near Kherson city. Their position looks extremely fragile. Vladimir Saldo, the head of Russia's puppet regime in Kherson, has asked for Russia's help in evacuating residents from the area. Quote, we know that Russia doesn't abandon its own, he said earlier this week plaintively. China's largest trade expo opens online. The twice-yearly Canton Fair, China's largest trade show, began in the 1950s. It was held during China's Great Famine and its Cultural Revolution. Mao badges were then a hot commodity. Even when the SARS epidemic struck in 2003, the show went on. But since the arrival of COVID-19, the fair has moved online. Over 34,000 Chinese firms are expected to show off their wares virtually in the 132nd edition, which begins on Saturday. Many suppliers will host live-stream video demonstrations of their products. Buyers may miss the touch and feel that were an important part of deal-making in the past. As the world economy slows, China's trade is also entering a difficult period. The growth of exports, which provided crucial support to China's economy last year, has slowed sharply in recent months. Visitors to the Canton Fair will not be able to touch the products, but they will smell the apprehension. Parisians rally against rising prices. The French are on edge. Days of strikes at oil refineries by workers demanding pay increases have led to petrol shortages and long queues. Unions have called a general strike for October 18th. On Sunday, demonstrators will take to the streets of Paris to protest against the rising cost of living. The march is organized by Jean-Luc Mélenchon's left-wing alliance, NUPES. Some unionists have promised to join in. Anne Arnaud, a French novelist and winner of this year's Nobel Prize for Literature, is also backing the demonstrators. Never shy of a provocative illusion, Mr. Mélenchon has called on participants to, quote, do better than the Women's March of 1789, an early event in the French Revolution. The planned show of force comes at an awkward time for President Emmanuel Macron. He is spending heavily to tamp down energy bills, but he is also planning to raise the retirement age, an unpopular measure after having lost his parliamentary majority. France looks set for a difficult autumn, on and off the streets. The T20 World Cup the West Indies are the only team to win cricket's 2020 World Cup twice, triumphing in 2012 in Sri Lanka and again four years later in India. The second win was particularly memorable. Needing a daunting 19 runs from their final six balls, Carlos Brathwaite hit England's Ben Stokes into the stands for four consecutive sixes. But if the Windies are to prevail in this year's tournament, which begins in Australia on Sunday, they will have to do it the hard way. 
Their dismal showing in the previous World Cup in 2021, where they lost four of their five matches, consigned them to qualifying for this edition. To reach the main stage, they will have to finish in the top two of a group also containing Ireland, Scotland, and Zimbabwe. They will be favorites, but their task has been made more difficult by the absence of star batsman Shimron Hetmeyer, who was dropped from the squad after missing his flight to Australia. Weekend Profile Mohammad Rastami Gachi, Iran's Brutal Enforcer It was his rapid promotion that surprised many. Just a few months into his post as the police chief of Talesh in Iranian provincial backwater, Mohammad Rastami Gachi was promoted to head of the Islamic Republic's morality police, 400 kilometers away in the capital, Tehran. Previous Iranian governments had never thought much of him. But the incoming administration of Ebrahim Raisi in 2021 admired Mr. Gachi's hardline beliefs. Shortly after taking the job, he declared his intention to enforce the mandatory veil for women, which had fallen loose under the pragmatist presidency of Hassan Rouhani. Quote, those who stubbornly remove the hijab are criminals, Mr. Gachi told Iran's press. Over the following months, he reactivated the morality police. Their men in dark green uniforms and women in black chadors scoured the streets hunting for infringements of sharia. They broke up bands jamming in cafes, they hauled girls caught for bad hijabs away in their windowless vans and took them to facilities for re-education. Sometimes they gave them a beating. And then on September 13th, Mr. Gachi's men carted away 22-year-old Masa Amini to her death three days later for improperly wearing the veil. The popular protest that this sparked had, in truth, been some time in the making. Under Mr. Rouhani, Iran breathed more easily with an unwritten contract, leave the clerics to wield power and let society live as it wants. The Islamic Republic shrank into an Islamic government. Mr. Raisi's determination to turn the clock back and apply Sharia to an even more secular population tipped resentment into civil disobedience. Even before Ms. Amini was killed, female students were spilling out of their segregated campus canteens into male ones. Women on buses and the metro discarded even their token nod to a head covering. The mullah's crackdown might have been easier to digest had they practiced the moral strictures they preached. But while people's incomes declined, Mullah's sons ostentatiously combed Tehran's highways in their Ferraris. And some questioned Mr. Gachi's standards of enforcement when it came to his own. His brother accumulated businesses in their hometown of Kerman Shah. As protests against Ms. Amini's death spread, costing so far more than 200 lives, Mr. Gachi's patrols disappeared from the streets. Western governments have imposed sanctions against him and his morality police for, quote, spreading a culture of violence and excessive force. For Mr. Gachi, they were just spreading Islam. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Maznoon Bujang, Kuching, Malaysia, North America, Wendy King, Sherbrooke, Canada. Central and South America, Caio Priskulnik, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Europe, Sven Nilsson, Copenhagen, Denmark. Africa, Ailsa Green, Chalma, Zambia. Oceania, Andrew McMenamin, Lincoln, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of Joshua, Rocky Balboa, Smokey Robinson, Zion, and Bryce Dallas Howard. The theme is U.S. National Parks. Joshua Tree, Rocky Mountain, Great Smoky Mountains, Zion, and Bryce Canyon.
and visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Virgil, who was born on this day in 70 BC. They can because they think they can. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening. <laughs>